welcome to the 65th episode of the No Duty Podcast. Today's guest is Braxton Wood. Braxton Wood is a marketing technology consultant who helps marketers build solid foundations and remove bottlenecks. Braxton is a high school dropout. He never even got his GED. However, that never stopped him from achieving success. His life has been all over the place. He was homeschooled. He got really good at managing his time. He worked on the oil fields. He made mistakes. He even worked as a debt collector. He also owned his own photography business. He eventually found his home in marketing and he got really freaking good at marketing. He learned the marketing tools and he taught himself everything he knew. He now teaches others how to break into marketing. This is an episode that is packed with actionable info. Listen to follow Braxton's journey. Visit nodegree.com to start your journey. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash nodegree. Every contribution is appreciated. This show wouldn't be possible without you. Let's get this show started. Hey, today I have Braxton Wood on the No Degree Podcast. Can you give a brief introduction of yourself? Absolutely. Hey guys, uh, my name is Braxton Wood. I am the owner of Hitmoxie, which is a marketing technology consulting firm for small businesses. More recently, though, I also am the owner of uh, Marketing Career Jumpstart, which uh, helps specifically marketers find better jobs, increase uh, the money they make, get more interviews, accelerate the career path, all that sorts of fun stuff. Uh, and I've been in this industry for about 12 years and love every minute of it. That's amazing. And you know, it's, it's interesting. Like I was actually working with someone recently. He was making 32 k he was like head of community at some place, right? Marketing. And he was in a band for five years, but he was only making 32K, no benefits. And then, you know, I was like, look, you know, fix up your resume. You'd be strategic. He actually got an offer at 96K. So 64K. So a lot of people don't realize that, like, if you pick up these skills and the beauty of marketing is you can always pick up and you're strategic. If you know how to market yourself, you can really open doors. So what does someone in marketing technology even do? Great question. So marketing technology, the, the basic simple answer I always give to people when they ask me this is like if you go on a website and there's an offer for you to download a free ebook if you just give your email address. That's very ba- at a very basic level what I help people do. But uh, as it gets more complicated, more, you know, the needs increase and things like that, it's things like, you know, automate how basically how, how much of your business can you automate through technology rather than going and hiring an assistant or hiring a you know, an employee going to an agency, things like that. Software can do 80% of that type of work. And even if you do have employees, it frees up their time. So they're not doing manual things and they're focusing on other things that can actually improve the business as opposed to like, oh, trying to copy and paste emails or something like that. Exactly. Yep. It's more, more revenue generating activities versus the mundane daily rigmarole. Yep. So let's take it back. How was high school like for you? <laughs> so I am a product of homeschooling. Oh, you know, homeschooler people end up being smart, like homeschooled people like that. <laughs> this is part of who's homeschooled. He's pretty smart. Again, it all depends on your parents and stuff, but it seems like you turned out well. I would like to think so. So it's funny. I use that term use loosely because I don't actually consider myself a former homeschooler because my mom didn't teach me. So I actually did it through um, the mail because, uh, you know, this is kind of almost right when the Internet was the Internet type of thing. But I did it through the mail through an accredited high school. Um, and yeah, just kind of worked it that way. 
it's funny though. I could have gotten a high school diploma, but I was one course short. I just got tired of it, and I so I didn't finish, and so I actually don't have a high school diploma. Oh, even better! So you're perfect for the podcast. So Absolutely. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. So, so how is this? Because my cousin used to do it. They used to send stuff in the mail. He used to go and they used to have to like mail these things in and submit it. So that was like, so you had like tutors and stuff. Like, how did you end up learning this stuff? That's that's pretty similar to what my experience was as far as high school goes. So it, it like I said, it was an accredited school. So I did have basically teachers and I would just mail, you know, the, I would get a workbook, I would get a textbook, do a lesson every day or a couple lessons every day, do the quiz after every lesson and mail it in. They would, you know, um, grade it and send it back to me. <laughs> what type of instruction did you get? Did you have to learn from like the textbooks? Straight from the textbook. And that was it. Oh man. So I could imagine like nowadays, like kids have videos. You're like kids these days have video and all that stuff. I didn't have that. Very much so. I, and it's to me, it's kind of a badge of honor that I wear a little bit. Um, I would like to think I'm quite a very self-learned person. And since even junior high, I didn't, you know, I, I haven't set foot in a classroom since I was 11 years old. So I homeschooled all through junior high as well, you know, quote unquote homeschooled. But, um, yeah, it's it's really interesting for me to realize, you know, that I'm an adult in my mid 30s to look back and realize I'm I've learned a lot of new words as I've gotten older with this topic. And so one word is autodidactic. Oh, yes, that's a word that a lot of people should know. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I've realized I'm very autodidactic. I can learn very easily um, just by picking up a book or, you know, pulling up a video and things like that. And it's easy for me to replicate. And I absolutely credit that to kind of that that strength and that muscle that I flexed when I was a kid, um, having to learn out of textbooks myself. So high school is homeschooling. How'd your parents supplement? Because I know a lot of homeschoolers, they supplement like a lot of museum trips. They have a friend circle. Like, how was that? In my case, it was very minimal. My parents could have done a lot. And I guess when I was in junior high, um, we did do a bit of that. We went to just a few examples. There was a homeschool group in the area where I lived at the time when I was in junior high. So we did do the occasional field trip to a museum or things like that. I remember we all pulled together some funds and we hired a, a sign language teacher. And so I, I took sign language courses for like three months. Things like that is what we did when I was kind of on the younger end of being homeschooled. And then as I got into high school, it was more just straight textbooks. I was also working full time when I by the, by the time I was 16. So that's kind of another reason why. Um, I'm also the oldest of six kids. And so as I got to be a teenager and I could be a little bit more independent. My parents focused more on my younger siblings. So between that and me working full time and just having textbooks, that was kind of my life. What job did you have? I was a cashier at a grocery store <laughs> for almost five years. Yeah. Wow. No, that's that's interesting because I remember working as a cashier and it's interesting. Like people got to respect cashiers, man. They deal with a lot of just rude people, people who are like, hey, you shortchanged me a penny. Did you ever get cook changed? I'm not sure if I do. No. So quick change is a lot of times like they'll give you, a, let's say, a 20. And then what happens is they'll talk to you and then they'll be like, oh, sorry, I only, you know, they'll give you 50. They'll talk to you. You give them a change, right? And let's say you get like $48 back. And then they'll be like, oh, they'll give the same 50 back. And they'll be like, oh, can you actually change this to 100? But they don't realize that it's all squared and you're actually losing out. It's like a very quick thing. People are like subtle about it. But yeah, they usually try to talk to you. Have you has that ever happened to you? I don't think that's happened to me before. Um, the worst experience I had was something when it came to changes. A guy came in one time, never had seen him in my life, never had seen him since. Um, he came in, I think he had some sort of mental illness or something like that. And he, when I gave him his change back, he literally threw it in my face as hard as he could. Like I had redness on my face from it. And he 
made a comment about how we're all going to die or something like okay, that. Okay, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Sorry you have to deal with that. But yeah, that's yeah. just part of like retail and stuff. It, absolutely. Dealing with the general public, yep. <laughs> yeah, so what lessons did you learn from like working as a cashier? That I didn't want to do it for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, it was great when I was that age. I made more money per hour than any of my friends. And how much was it? Um, let's see. I think by the time I left, I was making $14 an hour. Oh, I mean, look, as like, 16 to 20 year old that's like decent money i can't complain it was, it was great and this was like what mid 2000s right correct yeah 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 so yeah i remember when i i got a raise from like 775 to 875 and i thought i was like <laughs> king of the world i was like whoa this is like serious money yeah for sure yeah it was great <laughs> so now yeah so what other lessons did you sort of learn from being a cashier you know, I remember I, I was an avid journaler when I was that age and I, it's a, something I've tried to do since then, but I'm, you know, um, being, it's very hard now that I'm an adult, but I'm avid journaler when I was that age. So I remember writing in my journal one time when I was probably 16 or 17, how much I really appreciated the work, not because and the work, meaning not the work I was doing, but just the blessing and miracle of me having that work, considering my education, considering the circumstances I was in made a lot of good friends working in that capacity. I got to be, you know, it's funny because I was working full time. And so while most of my friends were at school, like I'm literally at the store cashiering and just working all day. So it was really interesting for me to kind of rub shoulders with adults more that were 20, 30, 40 years my senior. And since then, I've realized that ever since I was that age, I've been a little bit different, not because I was homeschooled necessarily, but most of my interactions with people as a teenager were with adults because of that. And I've always gotten along with people that were 10, 20, 30 years older than me ever I mean, that's then. a very good skill. I find a lot of kids and a lot of younger people don't know how to talk to adults because sometimes they have someone, you know, that's like a lot of mentorship opportunities, a lot of just different perspectives because I've learned a lot, just so much from people older than me. And then sometimes I'm like ready to help some of these younger kids. I'm like, just ask me, like, I don't want to go out and sort of give out unsolicited advice. Cause you know, it's just, people just don't end up listening, but you know, I'm like here to ask me if you need help, ask me, but a lot of kids are just not comfortable having those conversations. Very much so. Yep. So five years grocery store. What was the next move? The thing that prompted me to leave that job actually is that I, uh, I'm Christian. And so I served a mission for my church for two years, learned a lot of lessons from that as well. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's ultimately why I ended up leaving that job. Um, so I did that for a couple of years. And when I came back, I actually went back to that job. It was in the middle of the recession. And so it was the first job I could find. And yeah, came back in 2008. It was the only job I could get a hold of that I, you know, I had the skills for paid better than what a lot of people were making. So I kind of just went back to it for six months or so. I got married around that time. So I was about 22 years old. Like I said, middle of the recession, um, I happened to know someone that worked at the store that I... It was a different store than I worked at prior to leaving. Um, So I went to this new store for six months after getting home in 2008, got to know someone there. I was looking for more more full-time work, more like a real first job as an adult. And I knew someone at the store that had, I can't remember if it was a sister or someone that worked at a, a finance company. And they said they were looking for someone. Come to find out later, it was a collections job, which I ended up taking. It was the middle of the recession. So that's all the jobs, what they were at the time. So I ended up taking it. They were a auto financing company. Um, and so I worked there for almost three years, I think is what it was. And I learned there that I'm unfortunately very good at collections. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, look... You have your own business, so it's not a bad skill to have. Yeah, yep. So, yeah. So, what does someone in collections do, just for the audience that doesn't know? 
Sure. So basically, when you default on some sort of a loan, um, it could be mortgages, it could be, you know, your car, something like that. I was one of the guys at the financing uh, company that would call you up when you were 30, 60, 90 days behind on paying your bills, basically, and trying to negotiate payment on it. How'd you know you were good at it? Like, what are, what are some stats that if you could share any? The only reason why I ex- like I even entertained the idea of taking a job like that was actually right before serving my mission, I worked for another company for about six months. And it was kind of a telemarketing... Um, I like to compare it to like, if you're familiar with what lending tree is, how they'll get quotes and then you, they'll... So um, this was a company that would get... They had partnerships with local and national mortgage lenders. And so we would call basically cold call people to get their interest and then sell the lead to various lending agencies. And so that was kind of my first jump into kind of what was kind of a, an uncomfortable sales role, even though it wasn't like traditional sales. And so that's having that experience is what got me into the collections thing. Um, sorry, what was the original question, Janine? <laughs> what were some stats? Like you said, you you ended up learning like the average person collects this much. You were the one collecting XYZ. So it was really funny. The first year, year and a half that I was there, I the the manager that I had was he was very stoic and quite intimidating. Stoic people tend to be that way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm new on his team. I just had gone through two years of or t- excuse me, two weeks of orientation, was assigned to his team. He had a reputation preceding him for how stoic and how just intimidating he was. What was funny was is I just didn't want this guy to get, get start breathing down my neck. So I just worked and worked and just did everything I could just not to lose any potential payment on any any account or whatever. So after about six months of working under his management, he started producing reports and stuff. And I saw that I was in the top three out of maybe eight or nine people on the team every consistently every month. I was getting recognized for it. And it was in the in the realm of like, you know, you're collecting the way they measured it is based on how much the loan was worth, not just the payment that was behind. And so I I was on average collecting on um, you know, five hundred thousand dollars worth of of collateral on a monthly basis. I was doing something right. But the lesson I learned is, is there's something to be said for someone that's pushing you and pushing you and pushing you and trying to motivate you. Did he you. ever show any emotion about your results? None, none. Yep. The, the recognition, if I got any recognition, it was from everyone else on the team or from his boss or something like that. Like, And if he wouldn't have produced those reports at some point so we could see our progress, I would have never known. Like, never. It's exciting to me in a way, even though like I hated the work for the most part. It was exciting to me that like I was being productive and like I had job security, I guess, right? So yeah. <laughs> so what came next? And did he show emotion when you left? He didn't. So I got transferred. There were two other teams that I worked on worked with at that company. Um, actually three. So he was the first, but that company was really funny about like moving people around for no apparent reason. I didn't end up staying on his team, not because of his choice or my own choice, but because of his boss's choice. Further down the road, he actually ended up getting me a job at another company that he's working at years later, uh, which I worked with him briefly. And he was, he did show some emotion. He was excited to see me and have me kind of come into his realm again. It was kind I mean, of that's funny. That's probably like your that. biggest career accomplishment, getting some emotion out of that man. <laughs> I would agree. Yeah. <laughs> so now what came next? I was hired for I can I drop names on this? Yeah, Is that of acceptable? Course you, yeah, you're allowed to. So I was um hired for a company called Rico. Rico is a Japanese tech company. So Rico produces a lot of copiers, office supply type stuff. 
and I was hired to kind of be the the position was um, customer master, which is basically it was interesting to be in this big corporate company, which it was new to me compared to you know the smaller com- I guess the previous company I was in, like it was corporate too, but not as big. So this was a global company I was working for, and a customer master's job was basically to be the glue between every other department. It was almost like tech support, but internally, like if they needed a some sort of a customer record created or some sort of account adjustment made, like customer master was the person that they came to. So it was kind of a jack of all trades within the company type of thing. So, oh, interesting. So, how how long did you stay at that job? One month. Well, oh my god! So what happened? <laughs> that was right around when my first child was born, and um, my it was again during the recession. My father had fallen out of work and couldn't seem to find something where we were living in Arizona. And so they made the move, had made the move six months earlier to Colorado because he found work in the oil field. So here I am working this job at Rico. And my dad calls me up one day and he basically says, they're looking for more people. I know you're looking to make more money. Do you want to come to Colorado and work in the oil field? And like, I, all I saw was dollar signs. And so I said, how much, yes, if you don't mind go. me asking, how much were the dollar signs? See, it's around? so funny because it wasn't that much money, but <laughs> at the time it was huge for me. Um, so I think I was making right around $45,000 a year. And, but I, so, um, yeah, so the, that, but that was the next step. So I took the job after working a month for, for Rico, moved to Colorado on the Western slope, um, worked in the oil field there. And I did that for about 18 months. Because oil field jobs tend to be like that, right? It's like seasonal kind of like short stints, right? It's not like you work five years, you have to work on different projects type of thing, right? In my case, it, it was it was fairly consistent. There's a lot of red tape in the oil field, as you can imagine. And so there are some things that might influence and impact your job that way. Um, but as far as what I was doing, I was hired to be, they called it a plant manager, which is I didn't do all the fracking. I didn't go out in the field. I was the guy that managed the treatment plants when they would bring all the contaminated water or the water that needs to be recycled in. I managed and staffed the plant that treated all that that uh, material. So that was always something that needed to be done. And so that I had job consistency there if I wanted it. <laughs> but what made you sort of leave? What? Got you to the next position. So this is a story I actually posted on LinkedIn one time that got a lot of attention. Not long into it, I realized the money is not worth this. I was working seven days on, seven days off. And even then, you were considered um, not a team player if you didn't take on extra work when it was offered to you. So I was 14-hour days, seven days on, seven days off, which was really more like nine days on, you know, five days off or something like that. It's a long story. But the leadership in the company that I was working with, I didn't think had a lot of integrity either. So it's just a lot of little things. But the straw that broke the camel's back is I was overworked. I was working nights most of the time. And when you're when it's that demanding of work and when you're that exhausted and when you go that long without a break and just all these factors, you start getting sloppy. And so what I posted on LinkedIn is the straw that broke the camel's back is one time we were pumping from water into the plant from miles away through this underground line. And one little thing that I overlooked caused um, pressure to build up in the line. And me being as exhausted and as tired as I was, I didn't think through what pressure underground meant. And so I flicked a switch to open up the line to relieve the pressure instead of having people on the end relieve the pressure. And it blew a pipe probably 20 feet in the air out of a reservoir that we had and ended up damaging the pipe. And they had to bring a crane in to replace it and all sorts of stuff. So that was like, okay, that I'm done. <laughs> oh, man. It, it sucks, man, because it's like when you're tired, that's what happens. People people are very different when they don't are sleep deprived. Yeah. Oh, it, yeah, for sure. 
And it's funny. I remember coming home. Just I was just that was that was probably the as far as work experiences go. That is still the most mortifying, devastating thing I've ever experienced. But what's kind of ironic and kind of funny is, is in the oil field, because everyone knows you're going to be overworked. Everyone knows it's demanding work. And so like, I didn't get fired. Like they wouldn't have fired me. You're even required to get insurance as an employee for things like that. They didn't even want to use my insurance. It just, those things just happen. Explosions happen, whatever. So I could have kept my job if I wanted it. And it wouldn't have been, I would have had almost zero repercussions from it just because it's almost expected, but it was enough for me. So I quit. I told my foreman the following day, like, I'm done. Like, I can't do this. So I quit without a plan, didn't know what to do, nothing. (laughs) So what did you do? I quit that job and I stuck with it for one more week, basically to train my replacement. Um, And then my wife and I spent a week. We have two little boys um, under the age of four. You know, we're trying to figure out, like, what do we do? Like, we've kind of not been in this position before. What do we do? Um, And after a lot of back and forth, she convinced me to move in with her mother, uh, stayed away. Um, and so that's what we did. We moved in with her mom until we figured out our next move, basically. How'd you figure out the next move and went into that? It wasn't easy because by that time, that's when I had really taken an interest in marketing was during that time in the oil field. And I had a side hustle during my time in Colorado too that I was kind of trying to generate some interest for and things like that. And so that's when I really discovered that my interest and my passion was marketing. And so moving in with the mother-in-law, the idea was let's try and get some sort of turn the side hustle into a full-time thing, uh, a full-time business. And I was really naive, inexperienced still. And, you know, I was going to all sorts of um, like networking groups and things like that. I made myself all these silly business cards that I never ended. I still have them because it's like a good reminder. I have a hundred business cards that I never handed out from that time. All these things, no work really happened from it um, for three months. Like I said, I was very naive. Just there were certain lessons I hadn't learned at that point. Um, so after three months of kind of floundering around, living off of, we had just sold our house right around. So, that point, so we had some money in savings. We basically lived with the mother-in-law, lived off savings to pay other bills like cell phone and stuff like that. And once that all got depleted, had to figure something else out. <laughs> so that was when actually I went back to the stoic, intimidating manager that I had years earlier and said, Hey, well, did you call him or he called you? Like, so it's funny, when I was in, about halfway into my tenure at the oil field, he had actually called me and said, hey, I'm looking for someone to join my team here. You know, you want to come in and interview? And I said, I'm working in the oil field now. I'm loving the money. So no thanks, but no thanks type of thing. So then, you know, then all that stuff, all that drama and that accident happened. And um, so I called him up at that point when, you know, when all the savings were gone. And I said, you know, are you still hiring? And he said, yeah, actually, why don't you drive back down to Arizona for an interview and we can get you in. So that's kind of how that played out. <laughs> now, what type of job was this? It was another collections job. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, for, for a different organization, but yep. <laughs> okay, how long did you keep this one for? I kept that one for one year, I almost to the day. Was it different than the first one? Were you much better at it? Did you appreciate it now that there were no pipes and, you know, bursting and stuff? I was just glad to be out of the oil field for sure. But it was a little different. I I was working for that company was a credit union, a local credit union in Arizona, whereas the previous company was specifically an auto financing company. So now I'm working for a credit union that finances all sorts of things. Um, I was assigned to collect on mortgages. So people that were defaulting on their house payment. Yeah, it was great just because I had stable work. It was something I was familiar with. There are no pipes bursting and things blown out of ponds and stuff like that. So that was great. But I still hated it. That job, even going into it, I knew this was just a means to something else, just to be able to feed my family until I could figure out the next move type of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
What was the next move? Um, this is when the trajectory of my career completely changed. How many years into your career? So you're around what age when? Let's see. So that would have been 2014, 13 to 14, where I was working at this credit union. So that would make it about six years. Okay, six years. So you're about 24? I think I was closer to 27 or 28 by this time. So this is six years after the grocery store. Okay. So you're like 27, 28. Yeah, I think that's about right. The next step was in Arizona, there is a a popular, I'll say popular, but there was a software company that was becoming very well known as one of the best employers in the Valley um, around Phoenix. I had been eyeing them for years because again, I had an interest in marketing and they were marketing software and that's kind of how that worked. I had them for years. I remember um, I actually had made a trip when I was working in the oil field. We made a trip to Arizona one time. And I basically walked in there with my resume and said, I'm interested in working for you guys. Like, here's my resume. What do I got to do? And the receptionist like wouldn't give me the time of day. She said, if you just give me, if you give me that resume, I'm just going to throw it away. And I'm like, oh, thanks. <laughs> kind of thing. So I left. But then, you know, a bunch of stuff happened. Oil field, collections company, you know, credit union, all that stuff. I had applied to a job. Um, they're working kind of a sales type job. I was able to make it work because of my experience working at the collections because I was ordering phones, but also the quoting company for mortgages I worked at for about six months. They liked that experience. And so I got in there. And yeah, like I said, that's how the, just everything changed for my career. And I was finally doing something that had kind of a marketing element to it. Nice. So how did it feel to finally work in marketing? It was great. I loved it for, you know, there's a few little things in that job. I didn't, that wasn't the the only job I had there. That's just kind of what got my foot in the door. It was great. I made a lot of good friends. So a lot of the people that I met at that company, even in just that first role, some of my best friends, even to this day, it was really great. And by this point, I had been reading marketing and business books for eight, nine years. And so it was really I felt fulfilled because I was finally having conversations with people that I had been geeking out for years before over just with myself reading those books. So that was really, really exciting for me at that time. Now, how'd you learn marketing? Like, did you, what books were your go-to, videos, online, courses? What was your go-to? Early on when I first got married, I took an interest in photography. And that's what everyone does, right? Like you buy a camera and then you start charging people to take pictures, right? So I was one of those people. I had the added benefit of uh, my wife's grandparents are one of the biggest commercial and modeling photographers in Phoenix. They've been in the business for 30 years. So I had some built-in mentors doing that. Um, and that was awesome. They would invite me to go out on shoots, which was awesome. You know, I mean, there's pretty girls there. So that's great. And that was the first side hustle that I kind of started. And I started it very early on working, even from working that first collections company, I was doing that stuff. And this is what made me realize I enjoyed marketing and how I got into it was I started reading um, the book that got me interested was Seth Godin's uh, Purple Cow. That's the book that changed my life pretty much. Reading that book and trying to apply that to my photography business and realizing uh, that I liked marketing the business more than taking the pictures in the business, which is backwards from what most photographers are like. Uh, but yeah, but Seth Godin's Purple Cow was the first book that kind of did that. And then from there, it just kind of snowballed. And I read all of his other books. What, are, what were some other books I read? Yeah, a lot of it was just Seth Godin at the time. Oh, he's, <laughs> he's good. He's amazing. He's great. Yeah. So now you obviously applied. Now you got to apply the knowledge you learned from the, you gained from the books. Now, was it an easy start in marketing since you had this knowledge or was it a rough start? I wouldn't say a rough start, but it was a slow start. 
I had always wanted my own business. I realized that not long after getting married when I was in my early 20s. Um, but what I didn't have was just kind of the know-how and the, the, the experience to see the path to it. But working at that software company kind of provided me the path. Um, there's some very famous people that are on a first name basis with people in that company. And I got to meet a lot of them. So like, and they had an annual um, conference as well. So I've, I've been in the same room as people like Gary Vaynerchuk and Dave Ramsey, Sally Hogshead, like people like those are the people that I'm now kind of rubbing shoulders with. Um, and so that gave me a lot of clout from as a marketer, um, just for people to realize, oh, you're working for a marketing software company. Oh, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk, like that type of stuff um, was huge for me for sure. Right. Now, what are some things you still struggled with while working in marketing? That I still like to this day or at the time? Well, even to this, at the time and even to this day. At the time? I think at the time, um, I'm trying to figure out how to, to phrase this is my wife will tell you, I'm very good at coming up with an idea and starting it and then not finishing it. And for me, I, I learn a lot of lessons in doing that. And I think for an entrepreneur, that is um, kind of the norm. But she she has struggled to realize that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So shiny object syndrome. That's exactly what it is. So I think that's the biggest thing is I I loved putting things into place and even getting the ball rolling and some things. And then in the act of getting it off the ground and getting feedback, I would realize how all my plans up front weren't well thought out. And so I usually abandoned the project or something like that. And it's the same thing with a lot of clients that I was first bringing on the time. The beauty of working at that software company is it got me accustomed to working in that software. And so that's what I mentioned when, I, when we started uh, this discussion. Like That's what I do is marketing technology. And it was that company that kind of gave me that. That's the sweet spot that I've fallen into where I don't have to um, be strategic so much. I don't have to be accountable for paid ads, things like that. I just am accountable for the tech. So the struggle was always kind of finding where my place was in this big bubble of marketing, you know, there's so many different flavors and facets of marketing. It's, you know, where do I fall in? And I've learned since first working at the company that I'm a very kind of technical analytical type of thinker. Um, and so marketing technology suits me very well. If you wanted me to come up with like some sort of guerrilla marketing campaign or something like that, I wouldn't be the guy for that. I'm more about the execution and about the nuts and bolts type stuff of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How to set it up properly, what to do, how to get the most results, um, you know, use your money smartly. Now, looking back, what are sort of the do's and don'ts that you learned? Don't take a job just for the money because it's not always worth it. Or at least make sure that it is before you take it. And I don't regret the time that I spent the oil field. Um, I think uh, it was useful for me to kind of fall so many times so I could learn from that. So, but that is a big lesson. Don't do something just for the money. The flip side of that in, for, in the form of a do, which is something I'm a big proponent of is... Whatever your goal is, first of all, make sure you have a goal of what, what your career, what you want it to be. And it's okay if that changes because, I mean, look at look at my career. <laughs> like I've went from grocery stores to oil field to collections. Like I've done it all. I've done crazy stuff. But first, come up with a goal. Like whatever your goal for that for your career is, like figure that out first and make sure that you're passionate about it. I teach my clients as well, like work, like reverse engineer, work your way back. What are the stepping stones? What are the milestones to make that goal happen? And so kind of the flip side, the do of that is, you know, make sure that any job you take or any project you work on or whatever it is, make sure that it's a stepping stone to your goal. It's going to be something that you can put on your resume. It's going to be something that puts you in a better light to employers or clients or whatever it is. So that's a big thing that I've learned that I'm a major, major proponent of for sure. 
What would you say you did well throughout your career? Prior to my businesses, I would say that I'm I got very good at adapting to the the market and adapting to recognizing what employers need and speaking to that. Um, that's I've been able I've this is something I kind of promote with my career coaching company is since I got back from the mission all the way back in the re- in the recession. I've kept track of every job I've ever applied to, every interview I've ever gotten, and every job I ever accepted. And I realized that I, when, when I figured certain things out, I was getting interviews 80% of the time. So for every five inter- jobs I applied to, I was getting interviews for four of them. And so that's something that I would say I, I figured out and I've done very well with is understanding what your potential employer's needs are so that you can speak to it in a way that puts you in the best light possible. Mm, okay. No, I mean, that's a very good rate. Now, how has the industry changed over time? How has marketing technology, I assume it has grown, right? It's a bigger need, more automation, and especially with these large campaigns, right? People are sort of moving away from billboards and TV and kind of moving for programmatic solutions. Very much, because you can't measure them, right? You can't measure the impact of a, of a TV ad or a billboard, right? So yeah, that is why the market's exploded, because the best marketer knows how to measure. In terms of how the marketing technology space has expanded, it, it very much has. The software company that I was working for was the first one on the market geared towards small businesses. So the mom and pops, the little retail stores just down the street on Main Street in town. You know what I mean? They were the first one to be that. Everything else was enterprise level, like the Marketos and the Salesforces and stuff like that. And so in terms of how the landscape has changed, there's a lot more competition for them on the market. So that's a big thing. Um, and it also has increased expectations um, where they, if I look at that marketing software company specifically, where they were f- at first not, they created a category and were the front runner in it. Now they're competing in, in some ways, they're falling behind in their competition. So that's another way that it's changed is it's creating more demand in the market. Yeah, there's there's a lot of need out there and the market is big enough to support all these different companies finding solutions for their customers. Thank you. That's, I think, very helpful for the audience. What's your biggest accomplishment? I kind of alluded to it earlier, but like I said before, it's a huge badge of honor for me to be able to say that I have no high school diploma, no GED, no college degree. I haven't set school, uh, set foot in school since I was 11 years old. I've had this fabulous career. I've been doing it for 12 years now. I have two different businesses. Um, it, I figured it out all, all on my own with, with help of courses and books and things like that. But I didn't have... It was ne- never because I sat in a classroom with someone teaching me hypotheticals and, and things like that. So <laughs> so has the lack of a college degree or a high school diploma, has it ever caused an issue with some employers? And how'd you get around it, like if it came up? Great question. So there's two things I would say to that. Um, the first thing is, and I love sharing this with people, over my 12-year career in, in marketing, whenever I've applied to a job, I've never had to discuss education once. I didn't put education on my resume because like, you know, what would that look like? A kind of high school? You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but I was never asked about it either. And, and working at that software company, they, you know, the job description said that they require at least a bachelor's degree. I was like, I'm going to show them I don't need that. Honestly, it's never caused me a problem. Now, if I wanted to be something like to credit the situation, like, if I were aspiring for different jobs, then it might have been necessary, right? But in marketing, it's like you could, if you know the stuff, you can market, you can, you can produce results. That's really all that matters. Exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah. So yeah, I've never had the conversation, the education conversation once in my entire career of marketing. And the reason to answer the other part of the question, the reason is, is because I 
did a lot of side hustles. I did a lot of projects where I had measurable results that I could share and kind of toot my own horn about. And when that stuff is on your resume, education becomes irrelevant. Just like you said, Janine, like it just doesn't matter. When you can put stuff on your resume and show an employer that there's much more interesting stuff to talk about than your education, they're not going to care about the education. That's the, I kind of alluded to it before, but that's kind of the secret sauce of what I figured out in terms of what employers are looking for. They just want to see you have chops. And if you can show them your incredible chops, they're not going to care what your education is. They're not, it's not even going to cross their mind because there's much more interesting stuff to talk about. No, 100%. And you know what the beauty of marketing, which I like compared to other fields, is that, look, you have no marketing experience. Go grow an Instagram page. Go grow a TikTok page. Go approach a small business and say, hey, look, I'll market your business. I'll come up with strategies. And and then from there, right, you'd be surprised. And what businesses, most of these businesses, right, you look at their websites, the small local businesses, they're terrible. They have a lot of things. So you pick up these skills, you help them, you get some sales, put it on your resume. That can get you the next thing and the next thing. And that's the beauty of marketing. It's like someone's going to be like, wow, okay, you did this. You did X, Y, Z. And now there's so much on YouTube, right? Like even Marketo, right? They have like Salesforce. They have like free trials. They have like videos. They have like $10 courses on like how to learn these things. So at least you can, even if you didn't use it, you can say, hey, I use Salesforce for a small company or whatever. You at least know the nuts and bolts. And then, right? And the beauty is you, as long as you can go in, perform, that's really all it comes down to. Absolutely. Yeah, I love, one of the things I always love telling people is don't wait for a company's permission to start doing something remarkable. You don't need to wait for a company to give you a chance. You can do things on your own. And what you just described is exactly what I did. I had all my side hustles. I did projects for other businesses. That stuff right on my resume. And for a time early on, when I was first getting started, that's all I had. I wasn't working full-time or even part-time for some company that hired me. It was me doing little pro bono projects. And then that's, that kind of snowballed into other things, into gigs, into side hustles. And then eventually, that's when the software company picked me up because I had so much cool stuff that I did on my own, on my own volition without any company telling me to. Uh, and it was enough. And it always can be enough. You just have to start somewhere. Yeah, no. And the beauty is you can start small, have it snowball into sort of much bigger things. No, so I'm glad, and you know, it's good. And I think also the other thing to your credit, I think if you demonstrate a lot of knowledge, your education doesn't matter because they, they assume you're educated. They assume you know all these things. They assume you can get results. It does. It's the back though. If you don't demonstrate that, then that's when they have to fall back on, well, where'd you go to school? Where'd you go to this? But if you're like, hey, you're talking Marketo, you're talking about automation, you're talking about results, you're talking about ad spend, you're talking about like the different things and the different. So that's something that I think a lot of people should really take away from this uh, podcast. Now, did you ever feel insecure about not having a degree? The only time I did, it was when I first... Uh, got out of high school. So at that time, I was considering going to college. And I remember my mom was encouraging me like, because I, I kind of had been educated in a bubble, right? Like I didn't take any SAT, SATs. I didn't do any of that stuff. Uh, and I remember like, okay, I'm 18. High school's behind me now. Like, do I go to college? And I remember my mom explained to me like, you're being too hard on yourself. I promise you, you're, you, you know enough. You can go if you wanted to. And so just to prove like sh- prove me right or prove her wrong, I went to the uh, the nearest community college and I did a placement test. And I actually tested out of a couple like required classes. <laughs> uh and uh and then you know and then I tested into like, you know, English 101 and uh whatever math class it was like. And so it showed me like holy crap, like mom's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um that was but no, other than that it's never been a disadvantage to me. It never has that I can think of. No, no, thank you. So 
what was the hardest thing you went through in your career, in your life? I mean, you could say more to one thing. I might have to, because I don't yeah, know. Yeah. If, <laughs> I've been very blessed in that. Um, I always figured out how to find something to fall back on. And even if that was ended up being a job that I you know, didn't like for a while, just so I had a cushion to kind of go into something I was more passionate about. Um, the hardest thing, I think, a lot of it pertains to my marriage, I would say, actually. When I was working in the oil field, you know, all the guys I'm working around, most of them are married. And they're telling me like, yeah, working nights like this and stuff like that. And then me trying to like kind of start a side hustle and start a business on the side on top of it. But I remember the guys that would always say things like, yeah, this work is hard on your marriage. And I'm sitting there thinking like, is it though? I don't feel like it's hard on my marriage. And in retrospect, I realized that it was very hard on my marriage. My wife looks back on that time and would rather not think about it. Not because, you know, we were, were terrible to each other, things like that, but it, it, um, it encroached in a lot of our relationship in a lot of ways. Um, so that would be one thing is I think because maybe I didn't have an education to fall back on and because I am very autodidactic and also very peripatetic, I almost prefer change. Like I get bored easily. And so I, that's why I've moved by the time we had my third child, I had bounced around and we've moved nine different times in almost as many years. So that was another thing that was hard was just me. If I didn't have school to kind of lead me down a path, I had to figure it out for myself. And I did a lot of bouncing around jobs and where I lived in order to figure that out, which was, that was very hard too. No, I mean, no, thank you. I mean, that's another thing a lot of people don't realize that sometimes whatever the money may be good, but some of the lifestyles, it just becomes tough, right? That you're working and, you know, cause I know how it is. You kind of go to work, you come home, sleep, eat, whatever. And it's, it's like tough because the other person's like sort of, managing the household and they're not, they want kind of even have a conversation with you. And it's tough because there's really no time. Um, so no, thank you for sharing that. What advice would you have to someone who's 18 year olds right now, who sort of wants to get into marketing, wants to get into marketing technology? What advice would you have? Don't listen to the detractors. Don't short credit yourself either. The things that I've accomplished without going to school at all, which was completely 100% my choice. It's the, one of the biggest things I'm proud of, you know, that I can look at all these different things that I've done and all the things I've been accredited for or all these things that, um, you know, that, that I've been recognized for. It's, it's huge. And I did it all without education. So I would say the biggest thing, you're 18 years old. Most like what I hate about society is that everyone thinks that by the time you're out of high school, you have to have everything figured out. You have to know exactly what you want. I didn't know what I wanted until I was like 24. So that's just bull to me. Yeah. So for that 18 year old that maybe they don't know what they're, they want to do, don't know what their passions are, don't know what they're interested in. I would say it's okay. Don't sweat it. Don't listen to people saying that you need to figure it out now because that's just absurd. I looked at, there's a statistic, a statistic I've seen where most business owners or entrepreneurs or whatever hit their big break in their forties. Right. Like, and so if they're hitting it, then you know what I mean? Like, and it's an astronomical number. It's huge. Like the Zuckerberg was definitely like the exception to that. You know, it's okay not to have things figured out. Go, you're, you're 18. I know it feels like you've, you've, you might be old. You might've aged a little bit and you're more mature, but it's okay to spend some time figuring things out because the flip side is I have a very good friend that I've known. I've known her for, she's a few years younger than me. I've known her for half of her life since she was a teenager herself. She did what society thought she should do. And she just went straight to school from high school. And she ended up spending eight years in school because she didn't know what she wanted. And she changed her major so many times that like, you know, she kept having to restart, basically. That's what happens to a lot of people is they don't, they realize, oh, what I'm wanting to do is 
this isn't sounding as fun as I thought it would. And the thing with her, in her case, is she, it was, she wasn't getting student loans. She wasn't going into debt. She was working to pay herself through college. And so that's a lot of money that she had straight down the drain that she earned that she'll never get back again. So yeah, like for the 18 year olds, don't, you don't want to be that. It's okay to take, take, take a year off and figure things out, explore your interests. I, I think we don't give enough credit to how valuable that can be. What about someone who has some inclination towards marketing technology? They have, they want to get into marketing. What would you tell them to kind of get their feet wet? Uh, so see, it's different than when I got started because there was only one provider, right? But there are so many different providers now where I would just say it is not hard to pull up YouTube and to learn, to learn it. It's not hard to go get a free trial of software and teach it to yourself. Are there any softwares that you would kind of recommend that people learn? So yeah, so a great one is called Modic, M-A-U-T-I-C. And the reason why I recommend Modic is it's open source, which means it's free. For anyone that's listening that um, might know a lot about this space, like Modic, I would compare to like Active Campaign in terms of how its builder works and things like that. But it's free. So at, at a minimum, you might just have to pay to host it yourself, but that could be as little as three bucks a month. You know, so like it, for $36 a year, you can learn how to use this tool that big companies are using. You know what I mean? So that would be my first thing is I'm a very hands-on learner when it comes to that type of stuff. And so if you're a hands-on learner too, then pick up a tool like that and and just play with it. And I would recommend also starting a side hustle of some sort. You know, if it's photography, like what I did, I was obsessed with it, but that ended up being a kind of a, a leapfrog into other things that were more marketing related and things that I was more passionate about. So that's the beauty. It's like YouTube has really changed so many things. And there's some really in-depth videos of like tutorials and all that stuff. And it's sort of amazing. So any final thoughts before you kind of share, you know, kind of your services and all that, anything else that you want to say that you that I didn't ask you about? Yeah, I would just say the biggest, I'm a huge proponent of taking the road less traveled. And as long as that's where your passion is leading you. There's the big argument of what, you know, whether you have to be passionate about what you're doing for work or not. And I'm, I'm definitely one that's in the, in the passion camp. Yeah. Just don't discount the value of taking the road less traveled because there's a lot of things that you'll learn on the way that you would have never have realized otherwise if you just kind of follow the status quo and what mom and dad expects you to or what grandma and grandpa expect you to or what society or your teachers or your friends expect you to. You know, I have friends that are. Suck working in those collections jobs or at the bank jobs because they're so far along in their career that they don't know anything else and they've lost all that passion, all that interest in other things they want to do. So yeah, don't let that beat you down. If there's something you're interested in, take the time to explore it. I even when I was first married, my wife would tell you like I was up till two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning on many nights just exploring those interests and in, in whatever it was, even with marketing. Um, sometimes that's what it takes, but to me, it was absolutely worth it. Nice, nice. No, I mean, thank you so much for your time. Share what you want. You share your offers, your services and all that stuff. Sure. So like I've mentioned before, I have two businesses. The one that I'm trying to focus more on now is a lot, uh, has to do a lot with what I've been talking about through this whole, uh, interview, which is basically exploring your interests and figuring out how you're going to get from where you are to where you want to be. So my career coaching company is Marketing Career Jumpstart. That's the website, marketingcareerjumpstart.com. Basically, I help marketers accelerate their career path, make more money, and get more job interviews. And it helps them change their life just like mine got changed. Right now, I'm working on a uh, my first online course, my flagship course, 
which teaches how to build a resume that gets you interviews 80% of the time, just like I did. It basically replicates uh, my experience and what I figured out what employers are looking for. And so for anyone that wants to learn more about that course, you can go to um, mcj.li. So it's mcj.li backslash HBR, no degree. We'll have that and just send me the message. We'll have that in the show notes for those of you who don't, you know, don't want to remind. Thank you so much for your time, sharing your experiences. You know, it's cool. I know you had a non-traditional career, but talk to you is just like so much all over the place. But it just shows that, look, you know, once you figure out what you want to do and you can find the things and, you know, learn from his experience, you know, learn from the things that he would have done different, take it into your career and, you you know, contact him if you're looking to jumpstart your marketing career. I know he's going to lead you in the right direction. Have a good one. I look forward to keeping in touch and I wish you the best of success in both of your businesses. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast, on Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem, nodegree.com. Yeah, so, you got no degree? No problem. No problem. Any problem, we can solve them. We got this. LinkedIn Somnia keeps us evolving, growing and knowing, wisdom is flowing, if you didn't know, now you know where I'm going, if you didn't know, now you know, let's sing that again everybody, no degree, no problem, any problem we can solve them, LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving, we're growing and knowing, the wisdom is flowing, if you didn't know, now you know where I'm going, no degree, no problem, any problem we can solve LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving, we're growing in the knowing, the wisdom is flowing, if you didn't know, now you know where I'm going, yeah.